The following is sponsored by Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern Reformation. Visit ReformationSites.com and listen for more at the conclusion of this podcast. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name is Carl Truman, Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in Wentham, Pennsylvania. And I'm here as always with my long-standing friend and co-host, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church, a congregation in the PCA uh, based in... It's Harrisonburg, Virginia, Carl. I was going to say Charlottesville, Virginia. My my good and long-time friend. Harrisonburg. How long you guys smoke. been doing this? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, Carl's been in the pulpit of this church, I think, four times in the last uh, these nine Brits, years. These Brits have geography problems, you know, when it comes <laughs> it, to. <laughs> it reminds me of when I introduced John Master to preach for the first time at Cornerstone. I refer to as my good friend, David Master. <laughs> he was polite enough not to correct me. <laughs> Well, Carl, uh, uh, I'm, so I'm just curious to see how it's going to go when you introduce uh, your good friend, uh, who's our guest today. Yeah, it's my good friend, uh, Jim <laughs> Kruger. <laughs> <laughs> my good friend, Michael Kruger, who is president of Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, the Charlotte uh, branch in North Carolina, professor of New Testament there, former president of the Evangelical Theological Society, and author of numerous books. A number of my students have been immensely helped over the years by uh, Mike's uh, books on the New Testament canon. But he's also one of those gifted writers who doesn't simply write for the academy or for MDiv, uh, heavy MDiv courses. Uh, He also writes popular books that are extremely helpful to pastors and people in the pew. And we want to talk to him today about his latest book. It's on a topic that is uh, very hot at the moment and likely to remain so for some time. It's on the issue of uh, pastoral abuse, spiritual abuse. And the book is entitled Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church. Uh, one of the uh, Zondervan reflective imprint. I didn't know they had a reflective imprint. Yeah, I didn't know that either, to be honest with you. I'm still uh, learning a lot too. So <laughs> Zondervan Reflective have published this book. So Mike, great to see you. Welcome to the uh to the show. Good to see you guys. How I, I was as before we got on today, I was like, how many times have I been on the show with you guys? I was gonna say you continue yeah, to risk your uh, I continue to like you know, set new records here for uh, one <laughs> podcast. Well it's I like, like it's, have it's, a like a maximum I do like sorry the quote has been reached but uh, it's you Michael Allen um, Scott Swain, you know, we, we, we like to, we like to keep you three guys in, in heavy well, rotation. That's good. So that's yeah. good. Well, good to be back with you. Ligon yeah. Duncan to put us on the payroll. I think <laughs> I know you're, you're pushing some good RTS guys out there. Great <laughs> right. for that. We yeah. will, uh, I'll, I'll float that to Ligon see what he says. So. 
we've, we've even had Greg Lanier on a couple times and he, oh, you know, yeah. He, you know oh, yeah. good. We, Greg's great guy. Yeah. He was yeah. my, uh, student here in Charlotte, my former TA and then okay, off to do yeah. really, really, he's just really done some great work out yeah. there. So well, if, 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 uh, if RTS had bad faculty, we wouldn't keep having them on, but you know, <laughs> Hey, well, we're, we're glad you're around. Appreciate that. Yeah. Well, anyway, Mike's great little book. Uh, I want to ask you first, if you could start by defining spiritual abuse. Yeah. Seems to me that, you know, if we, if we, if you draw your wisdom from blog land, which is a bad place to draw it from spiritual abuse, uh, can mean almost anything from very serious examples of of what would be virtually criminal activity down to somebody said something nasty about me or the pastor said something in the pulpit that that pinched me at a point in my life and I didn't like it. Give us a definition, a, a good working definition of spiritual abuse so we can avoid the excesses. If you Yeah, are. yeah. Thanks, Carl. That, that's a, a great place to start. And of course, for those who've read the book, know that I spent a, a great deal of time on this in the book because it's so important to get the definition clear. We don't want to toss around phrases, you know, uh, in irresponsible ways. Um, and we know our culture can do that, where they can kind of label things in ways that aren't always accurate. Um, the way I, I define spiritual abuse is when a person in spiritual authority, and by the way, spiritual authority is a real thing um, in a valid category. But when a person who has spiritual authority, typically a pastor or an elder, wields that authority in such a way that they become domineering, heavy-handed, harsh, and uh, and harmful to the flocks that are under their care. And as soon as you hear that definition, of course, there's lots more to say about it. You realize very quickly that there's a lot of biblical categories there because we have numerous warnings in Scripture about bad shepherds. And the idea of being domineering particularly comes up in lots of places, both in Jesus's teaching and in First Peter and other places. So, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a term that we use in the modern day, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That is is not, of course, technically found in the Bible, but of course, I argue that the concept is just harsh, heavy-handed leadership. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because as I thought about um, experiences I've had as a pastor with people who have come to the church I pastor who have experienced what I believe really was really heavy-handed, spiritually abusive leadership. I mean, I I, I pastor people who I who I am convinced have been through that because yeah. of their descriptions and the the impact it has um on their on their soul is significant and and mm -hmm. mike i wonder you know as you were researching this as you were talking to people as you were writing it what are some of the kind of chief things that that happen in a, in a person's heart in their soul in their mind when when they experience what is legitimate spiritual abuse yeah, to be honest, this has really been sobering for me. I, I started this sort of journey down the spiritual abuse topic before Mars Hill ever came out. Yeah, this has been yeah. on the brain for a while for me, just sort of in my role. We're all involved in, in you know, ministry at some level. But my role, we obviously think a lot about leadership here. Um, and this has been on my brain for a while. And when I started diving into the research, it was it was heartbreaking because I had a chance to talk to a lot of people who've been through this and both personally, uh, but also in print. Um, and in other ways, getting testimonies. And um, it can really be uh, devastating on people's lives. And, and part of what I tried to do in the book is to help bring people into that a little bit, because I think it's easy to keep spiritual abuse at a distance and think, oh, well, you know, sometimes people are overly sensitive and it's just this and that. And, and by the way, sometimes that is true. Uh, but there's also a sense in which I hope that in the book, people realize, wow, this is something that demands our, our, our compassion and our attention and, and the effects are, are all over the map as I as I cover. There's emotional effects, shame, anger, fear, 
there's there's certainly physical effects from the from it and believe it or not people go just like anything that's that's difficult they're going to have you know insomnia high blood pressure anxiety but the most concerning is the spiritual effects people start to doubt the goodness of the church even the goodness of christianity they begin to think god must be the way this this abusive leader has been to me and so you know we're, we're shepherds at heart right that's what we do as ministers and i i hope that came across in the book that we want to be very uh compassionate on the people that have been through it what's been interesting um in in the context where i minister and and i won't i won't name the tradition but we we have a number of folks that are members of our church who come out of a religious tradition that is known for being kind of very heavy-handed very yeah. legalistic and it's been interesting the stories i hear from these families that that come into our church really wounded mm-hmm. deeply because it, it and, and it goes back generations in their families they've been a part of this tradition and when they break they're 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 shunned completely from their families but they come in literally licking their wounds and and the things that we hear over and over again from these brothers and sisters is first of all um uh how disorienting but but then ultimately comforting it was to finally hear the gospel because they realized that they hadn't heard the gospel really and just tenderness from from leadership they yeah. They weren't acquainted with that. They hadn't really seen that. And and what we see are all the things you just mentioned from uh, physical effects. You know, we hear the stories from yeah. some of these brothers and sisters about not sleeping at night, mm-hmm. um, uh, the anxiety that, that comes from this, um, the anxiety that comes from being now shunned by their families. And and so that that's coming from from a whole tradition where where this goes on. Um, but then we've also seen people that come out of not necessarily problematic traditions, but from a church where where a leader was empowered to behave that way. And and there's just certain threads that we see every time. And some of them are the phys- is the physical impact. It's it's remarkable again to see the uh, the Hebrew idea that that we're that we're body soul you know unities. Um, oh yeah, one affects yeah. the other. And, you know, that's one of the I think one of the things that we we've sort of learned over time about abuse is it's not just physical. Right. It can have different manifestations to it. And on the spiritual damage side, it's interesting because I agree with you. There's certain groups, if we can say it that way, that maybe are prone to this out there that even sort of trend towards cult like groups. But then one of the things I've, I've noticed in my own studies here on this issue is that it's particularly damaging, though, when abuse happens in your own tradition that you actually agree with. So. It's one thing to have it happen in a in a sort of that was my past life or I was part of a cult and I repudiate all that. But what happens when it happens to in a church that you would think is otherwise orthodox? And I think then it becomes very disillusioning because it's easy to dismiss a leader as, well, you're a heretic, you're a wacko. But what happens when that's part of your own theological tradition? I think those are when the damage really gets tough. One of the things that interests me, Mike, is this, you know, how the leader himself uh can guard himself against becoming spiritually abusive. I've been thought of yeah. that. You know, Paul's statement in the New Testament, um, be, be a follower of me as, as I'm a follower of Christ. You, know, you could easily, I think, if you took a very kind of critical approach, jump on that and say, Paul's being highly manipulative here. You know, he is uh, mystifying, sanctifying, authorizing his approach and identifying it with that of Jesus. This is very, very manipulative. To an extent, every Christian pastor has to operate in a way that, you know, be follower of me as I am a follower of Christ. How can the pastor, simple and fallen as he is, be aware of 
where he's crossing the line on those kind of things. What are the things that a pastor should put into place? I mean, yeah. no system is going to guarantee that the pastor won't be abusive. But one of the things that a pastor can put into place uh, that will have is because you made a comment before we started that struck me as very interesting. You know, sometimes you can do the right thing, but in the wrong way. Yeah, that's and, right. You know, which, which implies you, know, you could actually be abusive out of the best of intentions. You know, you could be a yeah. good faith person who yet ends up terribly damaging somebody by accident. What, what can a pastor, what can a session, what can an elder board do, build into their culture or their procedures or whatever, in order to, to be able to think through not only uh, you know, the, the state of their own souls on this issue, but also the practical applications of that in day-to-day -day, uh, church life? Yeah, well, this was one of the goals of the book, right? To give people some categories to think about, to give give leaders an opportunity to reflect on themselves and on and churches and structurally to think about how to how to how to address this. Um, I think I would begin by just saying, you know, most Christian leaders need to recognize that their their actions and their words have a lot more impact than they realize. This is something I've just learned in leadership over the years. And I know if someone told me when I was 32 that your words in ministry have a big impact on people more than more than you know. I, I probably would have been shrugged my shoulders and said, yeah, whatever. But now coming up on my age, uh, I realized, whoa, you know, even what we think is a very minimal statement or or whatever can just be very weighty for people. So the first thing for for, for ministers to realize is that you're you you have a pulpit inside people's head. And what you say bears more weight than other people. And and rightly so. God's called you to that task, which is why we're harsh more harshly judged as teachers, right? Because we have that impact. So first step is just realize whatever you think your actions and words are doing, they're probably doing 10 times more than you think for good or for bad, right? Either way. Um, the other thing I would say is that you probably don't have, and I speak to myself here too, we probably don't have a very good self-perceptions as ministers. We tend to see ourselves one way and we don't realize how we're seeing. So part of the, the beginning of, of making sure you don't fall into this trap is getting people around you that genuinely we're going to tell you how you come across, how, you, how you're perceived, and begin to get that feedback. And so lots of times people who are, who are influential ministers don't get feedback for one or two reasons. One is some people are in awe of them and won't tell them the hard stuff. And then two, some people are fearful of them um, and won't tell them the hard stuff. And so you got to go to people and say, I really want you to be honest with me. What are you seeing? How can I grow? How can I learn? Those are some beginning steps. Now, of course, in my book, I unpack a bunch of structural things about how to deal with abuse when it comes up. But those were some practical beginning points, I would, I would say, just to speak to the heart of, of all of us as leaders. Yeah, I think that's hugely helpful. And I remember I was having a, a conversation with a pastor in my community probably five or six years ago. He, he no longer pastors here and independent non-denominational church. And he was asking me about elders. And I began to just explain to him. Our, our structure, our, our policy. And he said, you know, that sounds great. I need some guys around me who, who will really, you know, kind of protect me from people in the church. And I said, well, <laughs> I said, I, I don't know if you're tracking with me here. And so yeah, I, that's not quite what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I began to explain it to him and that, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just one member of our session. We, we sit at a, um, you know, a round table, so to speak. And he said, well, he's, and he kept saying, well, but they're here and you're up here, right? And I kept saying, no, that's not how it works. And um, and and there ended up being real issues in that particular situation um, about heavy-handed leadership. And and it's hard because um, I, I think in some ways pastoral ministry can invite 
um, kind of megalomaniacal personalities. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, you know, it takes a little bit of chutzpah to get up in front of a group of people every week and say, thus says the Lord. Uh, I mean, the enemy has all kinds of ways he can exploit that in our hearts. And particularly if you're in a really kind church that says nice things to you all the time, that's a blessing. But if you believe all of that, it can be dangerous for your soul. That's why I tell pastors, have a wife who encourages you, but make sure she's not your fan, you know, and the same thing with, with the members of the session that you serve with. Yeah. You know, you, you want brothers who love each other and, and who support you, encourage you, but they will tell you the truth and that's hard. Um, but we are, we have to have it or it's too easy for a pastor to slide into a position where he's going to be heavy handed. It's just easy for that to happen. Yeah. And I think you're starting to touch on sort of the, the, the topic looming in the background of all this, which is the sort of celebrity pastor model, yeah. which is what happens when a church begins to treat their pastor as if they're different than everybody right. else. Right? right. And by the way, the celebrity pastor problem isn't just a problem of the pastor himself although right. he's accountable for his behavior, but the culture around the pastor and so many churches today actually pushes the pastor towards yeah. this autonomous. We want a celebrity yeah, pastor. We want, we want a big show here. We yeah. want someone who's going to take charge. And so one of the things I, I hope the book encourages is a recalibration and maybe just a reconsideration in our circles about what is it, what does authority look like? Mm -hmm. What does authority mean in a church? And, and I think we can put certain tangible things on it. But one of the things that I, I brought up numerous times is that when Jesus calls you know, Christian leaders to servanthood. He doesn't just mean deacons. And this yeah. is one of the things I think is a mistake that we tend to, if someone has a servant heart, we, sh we shift them towards deacon. And I'm like, right. but <laughs> what? Yeah. Jesus is talking to the disciples about how he himself, Jesus is the servant. Right. And so we need to think, are we getting elders that are, have a, have a servant spirit rather than a, you know, autonomous top-down hierarchical one. I think that we need some work on that. So. Definitely. I, I want to raise just a really sensitive issue. I mean, we always know when when you know pastors fall um and and the damage they do to the reputation of Christ and to his church and i've been asked about this and i've seen some pushback against this but i my own experience and and i think just the logic of the situation bears the truthfulness out when a, when a minister sins sexually with a a, a congregant i'm of the the strong opinion that even if it's quote you know, consensual. There is, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier the inherent influence of, of, of a spiritual leader. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a guy who naturally sees, quote, power differential everywhere I see. But if, if, if there's a power differential, it's there. And, and even in, in, quote, relationships that are consensual between a, 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 an immoral relationship between a pastor and a congregant, there is an enormous gap of, of influence that is inherently manipulative. I, I cannot conceive of a situation where a pastor sins sexually with a congregant, and it's not to at least some degree an abuse of power. Yeah, oh, absolutely, right? And yet I, I mean, see that yeah. I see that disputed some among yeah. people, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe the dispute is that, you know, the other person has their they have to own their stuff too. But no, I think that's exactly right. And this goes back to my point, which is, I don't know that we've appreciated. We, I feel like we're so eager in the reform world to defend the authority of the church and to defend the authority of pastors. And, and let me say rightly so, right? It's a biblical category. And we live in a culture that diminishes authority. So we have all kinds of reasons to defend and uphold and push authority. And I, I'm, I'm with you on that. But 
uh, but we also need to give time and, and energy to thinking, okay, but what about the other side of the equation? Authority can be abused. And so we, we, part of the goal of my book is to help us to realize that, 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 that the concerns can come on both sides. Abdication of authority is a problem, but, a, but misuse of authority is a problem. Yeah. I, I, just, I just taught a group of men in our church. I went through um, the qualifications for elder. Um, and every time I teach on that, it is, it's sharpening, it's convicting, it's devastating. And sometimes, and, and as we reflected on, you know, there's, there's a skill, Paul points out to both Timothy and Titus, there's a skill in terms of teaching, being able to instruct in sound doctrine, correct those who refute it. Absolutely. And then the rest of those qualities are character qualifications. Yeah. It's stunning, really, when you start doing the math. Exactly. The lopsidedness of it. So right. much more character. I understand, you know, being above reproach, we all get it. That doesn't mean sinless perfection. And we hear that and say that every time we teach on that passage. But to the extent, I think sometimes that the weightiness of, of above reproach oftentimes escapes us because it almost dies the death of a thousand qualifications. It being does, above yeah. reproach is a heavy call. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I use the phrase, uh, you know, that part of the challenge in the church days, I think we've put competency over character. Mm -hmm. um you know giftedness ability uh is is trumping character problems obviously the bible says that ministers have both competencies and character but right. when we look at first Timothy three at least the character way outweighs the competency and in, in, mm -hmm. in almost a 12 to 1 kind of ratio yeah. um and i think I, I wonder you know just in the seminary context i'm wondering if we're doing a very good job i'm not speaking about rts in particular here sure. but just in general are we doing a very good job in seminaries Helping people realize that. Now, obviously, we don't ordain anybody, mm -hmm. but even as we think about how to help frame the issue, I think we almost make it sound like the most important thing for being a minister is get your doctrine straight. And by the way, I'm a big believer in that as a seminary professor. Of course, I believe doctrine is very, very important. But the idea that you can have good doctrine and then spend 4% of your time analyzing character is just, that's there's an imbalance there. So, and I think that's what's got us here, honestly. I think we need to rethink that at the ordination level. Here's a question for you, Mike. Um, I don't want to trivialize the issue of, of pastoral abuse, but it's it's a very hot topic at the moment. There's almost a, a cottage industry out there on the web of sort of exposing abusive pastors and, and finding abuse in, sometimes I think, in, in every application, in every sermon. Um, there are real abusive pastors out there. We, we know of them, and there are many more we've never heard of, and it's it's you know it, it goes on quietly. But I've met many, many congregants over the years, and I would include myself in this number, who've never been abused by a pastor. Now, the vast majority of pastors, I think, are not abusive. The vast majority of pastors do uh, a tough job for very little pay, uh, and they, they, they do it to the best of their ability. I have never met a pastor who has not been abused by a congregant or even a congregation. Uh, and... I guess my question is, okay, yeah, we need to we need to seriously address spiritual abuse coming from pastors, and for the reason of the power differential, that can be more dramatic, more pungent, more more damaging, perhaps. But you know, what about the pastor who you know, speaking personally here, I suppose you know, who goes home every Sunday and has that guy or that <laughs> girl send that email, talking to him as if. She's something, uh, he's something that she or he has trodden on in the streets. Uh, and everything they do is subject to criticism. And there are gossip campaigns against it. What about that? At what point do we say, okay, yes, yeah, spiritual abuse is real from pastors to congregants. 
but it is more widespread and more universal among congregants aimed at their pastors. What do we do about that? And what do we do about that without making ourselves vulnerable to accusations of being spiritual abusers because we're trying to do something about it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I cover this in the book. I mean, in my opening chapter, I acknowledge, hey, look, we're not suggesting that 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 for, first of all, I say in the book that the vast, vast majority of pastors are godly, humble, great leaders who who love their flocks. I'm a pastor. I love pastors. Um, I train pastors I'm around them every day. So, I mean, you know, I say that very plainly in the book that the vast majority of pastors, of course, are not abusive. And then on top of that, I even say in the book that lots of churches mistreat their pastors. In fact, I was doing a podcast uh, just two days ago with Dan Doriani, a good friend of mine at Covenant Seminary, who has a podcast. We did it on Bully Pulpit. He brought up this exact question. You know, isn't it true, though, that churches sometimes mistreat their pastors? And I was like, absolutely, that happens. And anytime we we want to address the purity of the church, that issue needs to be addressed. I told Dan and maybe tell you guys, maybe a book needs to be written on that. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that just wasn't the issue I was addressing, obviously, in my book. Um, now, statistics are hard, right? You know, is which one's the bigger problem? Well, I don't know that we have any hard st statistics on either of them. Um, I, I will say, though, this is that pastors are held to a higher standard and we have a responsibility to make sure that we're behaving the way God is asking us to behave. And our fellow pastors are doing that. Even if we're mistreated, we, we start with us because we're held to a higher standard. Also, the statistics, you know, are a little bit misleading because there's a lot more congregants and a lot fewer pastors when you do the math. So the fact that not every congregant is abused, but most pastors are maybe isn't isn't telling us everything we need to know statistically. Um, you know, so so yes, I think that is an issue. But uh, at least from from my concern as someone who's training ministers, someone may need to address how churches treat their pastors. But for the purposes of this book. Um, I really felt like this this needs attention in our in our current moment. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I I will tell people who are visiting our church and who have questions and go through our membership class, et cetera, is um who are coming from non-reformed churches um who who don't have a Presbyterian form of government is one of the things I tell them is that one of the things I love about Presbyterianism when it's properly practiced is that it it gives the church member a lot of security. Uh, in in terms, of, and again, this is assuming it's properly practiced. When it's properly practiced, um, it it helps to protect the congregant from a pastor or a, or a session or a member of the session who begins to behave in an ungodly way. There are mechanisms built in to our form of government that that seek to to address those things, so that a congregant. Again, if 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 we're doing our polity well, a congregant does not have to remain in a situation like this and for it to continue to be unaddressed. And I would just encourage every Baptist to become a Presbyterian. I mean, that's the bottom line. <laughs> I see, I see we're where this is going. Here. Yeah, uh, but, hilarious. Uh, but uh, well, I, let I, me let me just make one yeah. comment on that, Todd, because yeah. of course, one hundred percent agree. Church government matters. Boy, oh boy, does it matter. Obviously, everyone on this call is a Presbyterian, so we think Presbyterian church government is the best version of that one thing i've learned in the book though and i think we all know this intuitively and you weren't you weren't saying this isn't the case is that having higher courts doesn't in and of itself automatically solve the problem um in fact one, one of the things i was shocked by is how many cases i studied were in places of higher courts and i don't just mean presbyterian i mean particularly anglican and if you've been keeping up on the scene in the uk with spiritual abuse man there's been a lot of anglican cases there where you could argue man you got even more hierarchy there but oddly, even less accountability in a strange way. And so one of the things I say is, yes, we want good church government. It really matters. But we also want informed church government that understands the abuse 
uh, issue. And that's part of the reason I wrote the book is hopefully the little tiny step just to help people have the right categories. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've appreciated the book. I, I think that this is, um, the sort of thing that would have been helpful for me when I was a seminary student for this topic to have been brought up, particularly because I was, I went into ministry as, as a Baptist and as a Southern Baptist, you know, when you're the senior pastor of a church, you're kind of put at the top of the pyramid mm-hmm. and it can be, it can, it can be, it's, it's exhausting. It can be devastating because also everything that goes wrong is quote, you know, your fault. And so you can be both the target of abusive behavior, but you're also put in a position where you have access to people's hearts in a way that, that, that a lot of times isn't very healthy because you're at that top of that pyramid. And, and I have found personally, I have found great comfort in a system of government that takes my sinful impulses seriously enough to put guards in. But as you say, even there, we find ways around it. Sure. And, and so it, it, ultimately it, it comes down to, are we going to be godly? people in in these positions are we going to be accountable are we going to have a session that loves us and supports us but are not our fans and so they're willing to say you were wrong there right pastor hey pastor we think next week you ought to say something from the pulpit acknowledging that maybe you went too far in that statement pastors have to be willing to submit to that sort of thing and um and churches have to be willing to to admit that maybe maybe in our desire to have a big shot pastor we've aired by not caring for his soul well and putting him in a position that that's tempted him too much. So there's lots of dynamics. And I think yeah, there's multiple that, layers of responsibility, aren't there? I mean, exactly. You know, a leader who goes off the rails, of course he is responsible for his behavior, yep. but man, we've got to look at our church culture broadly yep. and just, you know, the fandom uh, yep. factor is I tell my students all the time, the most harmful thing for you isn't criticism. Sometimes the most harmful thing for you is compliments, that's you right. know, unabashed, <laughs> you know, over the top, you're the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, that can sometimes do more damage than, than uh, even criticisms. So we got to be careful about that. It's, it's true. Well, our guest has been uh, Michael Kruger from uh, uh, president of, of Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. Um, uh, as, as Carl mentioned earlier, his, his work is always well worth reading. And his latest uh, book, Bully Pulpit, Confronting the Problem of Spiritual Abuse in the Church is one that we would recommend. Um, I have found it to be balanced, thoughtful, um, uh, addressing the, the kind of the, the, the broad sweep of this topic in a way that is helpful. If if you're a pastor, I would really encourage you to read it. If you're a member of a session, I'd encourage you to read it. It it, it provides plenty of opportunities for some gut checks um, that I think are important, and um, and we would commend it to you. If you'll go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you'll uh, you'll find an area where you can enter to win a copy of this book and we would encourage you to do that if if while you're there if you'd like to make a donation to the alliance of confessing evangelicals um, then you can feel free to do that as well um, but we're so grateful again for um, our guest and for, and for the way that he continually risks his reputation by coming on this program <laughs> we are especially <laughs> thankful yeah it's um, sketchy guys i don't know this may be exactly. my last one of course right. i said that like five times ago was my last one so <laughs> well uh Mike continued to to produce great work. We're, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the ministry as as, as a Presbyterian pastor. Um, I'm grateful for the ministry of RTS across the board. Um, I'm a beneficiary of of the work, and 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 as our guest lineup over the years proves, we're 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 very thankful for the work of RTS and uh, for for our listeners. Thank you so much for being with us today, and we will look forward to being with you uh, next time on Mortification of Spin. You. Oh. 
The one you love The one you shouldn't hurt at all Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Hey there, this is Eric from Reformation Sites. These days, having an effective church website is vital to ministry. Unfortunately, it's not easy to find someone in your church to put together a site that reaches out to visitors and ministers to members. That's what Reformation Sites does for your church. With beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features, your website will be ready when people are searching for churches in your area. It also integrates with many popular services like sermon audio, live streaming, and online giving with pricing that fits into any church budget. We want to help your church start off strong this year, which is why in January we're offering 40% off the website setup fee. Get started today by using coupon code RS40 when you go to ReformationSites.com. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern reformation.